Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. I want to straight up from the top give credit for this message to John Ortberg. John Ortberg is on the West Coast, been a longtime pastor. He has a podcast called Become New. In a not so distant podcast episode, uh, about a month ago, inspired me and also inspired this message. And I, when I heard it, I thought, man, that, that is a great segue between the summer-long series that we've just completed and this new three- or four-week series we're going to do in October uh, that I'm calling I, I, I Want You to Know. So the core of the series that we've just completed about <clears throat> the practice it takes to become like Jesus, to become reflections of Jesus in our world. The core of that whole conversation we've had for several months now is we need to change. We have to change to become more of the voice and beauty and creative love that is our God in our world. To be more of that, to be less defensive, to be less anxiety-ridden, to be less pessimistic about the future, but more more forward-focused with God's heart for the future. We've got to change. And the problem with this is change is hard. Change is hard. I played a lot of baseball when I was a kid. I'm going to get a prop here. And I, from 9 to 12, I played Little League. Then I played three years of Colt League. Then I played high school baseball. And during high school baseball, I started playing softball in the summers. I played softball for seven or eight years. And during my early 20s softball years, I started playing golf. And I heard for at least three, four, maybe, maybe longer, probably five or six years, golfers I played with... They'd watch me swing, and they'd go something like, you, or, ah, or, mm. And often, people who really knew what they were doing on the golf course, they'd say, did you play baseball? Did you play a lot of baseball? And I'd say, yeah, yeah, you swing the golf club like a baseball bat. And it's, I'm not even going to practice. I don't, I don't know why I brought this. There, I'm done with my prop. I, I, I didn't struggle to swing the golf club because I just couldn't understand what was being taught to me by golfers. I didn't struggle because I I couldn't comprehend what I was seeing when I watched other golfers' golf motions. I struggled because change is hard. When I got married, I was 24. And I was really good at being single. Amy was 23. She had practiced being single, not married, for 23 years. And then we were on our honeymoon, beautiful resort. The weather was nice. In the winter, we got to be outside. And we had an argument. It wasn't like a massive knockdown drag out. I'm going to call it a mini argument on our honeymoon. And it's not because we didn't love each other. It's not because we weren't excited about the future. It's because change is hard. Whenever I talk to someone who takes the call of Jesus seriously... The call of Jesus, not to just be a churchgoer, not to just be a person of kind of religious faith. I mean, the the call of Jesus. We spent the whole summer on this. To become like him. To be changed and transformed into the image of God's character. That we sound like his hope. We're actually encouraging others with this infusion of life and power. 
when someone takes that seriously, that call of Jesus, it's inevitable in my relationship and conversations with them, some version will come out of them. Man, it's hard. Why does it have to be so hard? Why is changing so hard? And why does God allow it to be hard? We battle these habits and patterns and reactions, and we want to love better and we want to change. Why is it so hard to change? So we're going to spend a few minutes here talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for us to get this, and this is part of what I want you to know at the start of this, this shorter series we're going to do. Just a, out of my journal notes and just out of my thoughts of, okay, where do we go from here now that we've talked for several months about, we've looked at, we're practicing now what it is to practice the voice in the heart the character, the words, time with Jesus. We're practicing the way of Jesus. Where do we go from here? One of the things that I really want you to know is that it's actually a good thing that change is hard. Now stay with me on this. I did not used to believe this. This has been a a, a slow change of my worldview and my core convictions. We're going to talk here for a minute about why it's good that change is hard. And it's centered in the fact that you're a person. We're humans. And humans are so unique in the fact that God designed you to be a person different from anything else in creation has everything to do with why change is hard. I was a kid in the 70s, and I was a teenager in the 80s, and a lot of kids, it was just very common, you'd see them basically in every house, had an Etch-a-Sketch. And an Etch-a-Sketch was this, you know, you know what this is, right? If you're under the age 30, do I need to explain it? Here's a picture. You've got two knobs. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, we, we found this online. Like, okay, let's use this one just because why not? Uh, <clears throat> with two knobs, you can basically sketch vertically or horizontally images or pictures or diagrams. And... What we all loved about it, you know, kids that practiced and did this a lot, you know, could sketch really cool pictures. And like anything else, you know, because of practice. And those of us who really didn't, we'd get frustrated. And regardless of how good you were, at any point when you messed up or you didn't like your, yep, Jan's doing it, you just, it didn't even take, I was going to say it took five seconds, maybe two shakes, two or three seconds, you shake it and it's gone. The whole image is gone. You've started over. It's a whole new canvas. Alton, I, I told Alton I was going to maybe use this as an example this morning. He said, you know, there's an Etch-a-Sketch app now. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he actually has it on his phone, which I think was, is, is great. We love it because when we mess up, we just shake it a couple times and it's gone. It's all new. And this is how we want changing ourselves to be. This is how we want God changing us to be. We just want it to be quick. We're open. Most people, most healthy people are open to change. I know I need to change. I know I can be quick in my temper. I know I can be a talker and talk over people. I know I can be selfish in this area of life. we're, We're honest about wanting to grow, wanting to become who God has designed us to be. We're even open to God changing us. We just would like it to be quick and easy. William James, 
an American psychologist, talks about plasticity. Now, what made plasticity famous was neuroplasticity. This is, he really pushed this into kind of the forefront of neurological science. Uh, neuroplasticity is the, the body's ability, the nervous system's ability to change function from one part of the nervous system to another after some kind of trauma or injury. And it's pretty remarkable. And this is all centered in the brain, of course. And then there's structural plasticity. Structural plasticity is uh, the brain's, um, because of what you learn, the brain actually changes in structure. And we see this now. We, th this is something that's been common. I saw this on the 60 Minutes or something the first time years ago, and it's, it's amazing. Uh, people who struggle with certain addictions, drug addiction, heavy alcohol consumption, their brains physically look different. People who are optimistic about the future, People who anticipate, their brains look different. Their synapses, actually, the electrical synapses actually form different compositions within the brain. So plasticity itself, the idea, is the ability to change when something or someone, when an object or a being is weak enough, this is a positive use of the word weak, weak or soft enough or flexible enough to yield to an influence but strong enough to not completely change. An example would be basketball. I brought another prop. Do I need to get it? I'll just hold it. Just, just, just for effect. Why not? So <clears throat> I've been playing basketball since I was probably five or six years old, had a little Nerf hoop, and, and you know how it goes. What do we say when we haven't done something in a while? I've gotten rusty, or we get rusty, right? I have not. I thought about it. This morning, the last time I shot basketball, we have a hoop in our backyard. Amy's childhood basketball hoop is in our backyard. The last time I shot was probably six months ago with McKinsey. We were in the backyard. And, and <clears throat> here's, this is, a, I think, this, I think, we'll see, but this is a good example of plasticity. I don't, when I go months without shooting basketball and then I get kind of bad at it again and I'm missing a lot of shots and it takes me a while, you know, I need to shoot regularly to kind of hit more shots. That's, missing months of basketball doesn't mean I, I, I don't remember how it works. Where, where am I shooting? To the basket. Oh, to the basket? I know where the basket is. I know you have to dribble. I don't forget these things. We are, we are creatures of habit and routine. Where plasticity comes in is where, really in the level of detail. I'm going to drop this because I can't do, I can't hold a mic and a basketball at the same time. And plus it's flat. I was going to dribble it, but it's, that's how long it's been since I've shot basketball. The level of detail, like holding my hands, moving my wrist, arching the ball more, that's what takes practice. Like, man, I'm rusty. Man, I can tell I haven't shot a basketball in a while. This is the tension between us. Well, there's certain things we just don't forget. There's some basic routines that we just never forget. You never forget riding a bike, right? We say those things. And yet, when you go a while, you need to practice again. Like, why am I missing all of these shots? Well, it's because you're, not, you're shooting the ball too flat. Oh, my gosh, I used to do that. And then it takes more practice. This is an example of plasticity. Humans are great examples of plasticity. This is why change is hard. We're creatures of patterns and habits and routines. 
Unlike an Etch-a-Sketch, can, can you imagine the devastation of society and our friendships and human interaction if we were just changing who we are and what we value from one day to the next just completely? Where we could just completely, you wake up and you're just completely different, completely new. We would break down as a society. You'd have no relationships. You wouldn't know anyone. You, there would be no glue or stickiness to everyday life. James, uh, William James went on to say uh, famously, if you could change everything about yourself every day, you would be totally unstable and un unable to be a person. And yet, people still have the unique ability to change. We are made up of routines, patterns. There's the common traits. We understand this is a basketball and it goes in the hoop. We understand we get up and we go to work. We relate. We talk with our mouths to people. We know who the people in our lives are. But we have the ability, the unique, powerful, remarkable ability to change in our thinking, to change our habits, our perspectives, our attitudes. Nothing else in creation can do this. So this takes me to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you have been in church for very long in your life, if you've been following Jesus for any given amount of time, you probably know these couple of verses. The Apostle Paul says, therefore I urge you, he's urging followers of Jesus in the city of Rome to pursue him toward the ultimate, toward becoming Christ-like. Not Christ-like like religious and we are carrying big fat Bibles around and we set, you look like a monk. No, he's talking about the beautiful agent of change in society that our world needs, that you become this. This is what Paul's driving at. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. A, 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 to offer yourself as a sacrifice sounds morbid, but in this day... Offering sacrifices was a part of everyday life, but this is a living sacrifice. You're going to be alive, but you're offering yourself to God. Your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to tell what God's will is. You'll know it. You'll know it, and it will be confirmed in you. This is what it's like to speak God's words of life, encouraging words to others. Powerful words. This is what it's like to walk in real hope. Our ultimate worship is to offer our bodies to God in sacrifice. But the way this plays out, it's the sacrifice to be transformed. God, I, I, I'm not going to hold on to staying the same, even though it's comfortable, even though it's safe, even though that's easier. I'm actually going to make the ultimate sacrifice in worship to you, allowing you to change me. This is what Paul's calling us to. Change me from the world's way of behaving and thinking. Negativity, complaining, talking about others behind their back, but it's kind of okay because they need help, and we're going to help them by just talking about them. It's crazy what we do, what we justify. Fear, walking in fear, living in fear placing ourselves ahead of, ahead of others, we are called by God to change 
who we are, the way we think, the way we interact, the way we look at the world, the way we look at our future, the way we look at ourselves, we're called to change. The way we look at hurt, imperfect people, God's plan. The choice to allow God to change us is what makes us human. This takes us back to Eden, the very beginning. You know, early in my faith, maybe for many years in my faith, I did not understand why the second tree. God creates us in his image. You are going to replicate my life forever. You are going to be reflections and imagers of the creative source of life. You can eat of any tree. It's all yours. And if you eat of the tree of life, which represented Jesus, we learned that in the New Testament, you will walk in sustained life forever. But then there's this one tree over here. If you eat of it, you'll die. Humans will die. You'll have decay, disease, chaos, broken relationships if you eat of that tree. And I used to struggle. Why? Why did God, is he messing with us? You know, in those moments of, of challenge and, and crisis of faith, we just feel like, God, are you just messing with me? Why can't you make this easier? I've thought that about Eden. For years in my growing faith, like, why put that tree there? Is he trying to tempt us? Is he trying to mess us up? If he had not put that tree there, we would not be human. God knew exactly what he was doing. This is a unique creature in the entire universe. They have the ability to choose. They have the ability to choose to walk with me as the source of life, or they have the, ch they have the choice, the ability to deconstruct, to decreate. If we didn't have that tree also in Eden... We would have been an animal. We'd be part of the animal kingdom. Just following natural instincts our whole lives. And still to this day, we have the choice. We have the choice to allow God in our ultimate worship to change us, to transform us into something more beautiful, something more whole, something more not just optimistic, but actually living in and breathing out, speaking out hope, or we have the choice to hold on to control or to react the way that we think we should react or to prove that we're right. It's something crazy about us. Humans have the ability to adapt and modify. Even though we're people of habits and routines and patterns, this is part of the plasticity point, we have this ability to flex at the area of our core, of our character. You actually can change who you are. You can allow God to change you, who you are. And this, this, this giving our God permission to change us gets to the heart of how our character is formed. This is what you're constructing. When Jesus talked about constructing a house, there's two homes being constructed. And I know we've talked about this a lot again this summer. It is a constant refrain here at Dulles. I'm going to keep this in front of us. Jesus says, you are building a future of stability and strength and creative life and love. 
You're building a safe house and a lighthouse for people who need help and healing when you put me into practice. He's talking about you building the temple that is you. Or, and then then there's the building on sand. You can build with yourself in control. You know how life is best lived. Building our own character based on what we think defines life. You're not actually constructing a portfolio. Our society tends to teach us this. You're not constructing a collection of wins or kills at work. You're not constructing a collection of houses or good investments. You're constructing a character that ultimately should look like the one who made you, the source of life. But you have the ability to actually construct a different kind of character. And Jesus came to restore us from a broken character, incomplete, self-centered, often self-elevating, to the beautiful core that we were designed to be. All right, quickly, there was a, there was a social psychologist in the mid-20th century named Milton Rokich. And I had never heard of him until John Ortberg's episode. And I just found this so fascinating. He introduced the concept in psychology um, and just boiling it all the way down, basically he says humans are defined by a system of beliefs. That's what human beings are. They're a system of beliefs. And he, defi- he, he, he describes at the core of this is our character. And if you could picture with me just sort of a, a center, like a center circle with concentric rings uh, or levels, at the core of us is what he calls our per- our primitive beliefs. This is your belief system about uh, knowing who your parents are, knowing your home, your house, the town you grew up in, but particularly, you know, my house is a safe place. It's, 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 we just, we talk freely in our house. Or my house is a dangerous place. And then just one level out, one ring out from the core, are B-level beliefs. These are beliefs about yourself. And there can be a sincere belief in you that, you know, I really care about people. I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I really care about people. I, I, I'm a generous person. That's something I value. Or they could be self-limiting beliefs. I'm just never good enough. I'm always embarrassing myself. I just, I'm not, there's something about me that's not lovable. I don't know if anyone will ever love me. And Milton Rokich writes that that core of our character usually is formed early in life. When we're young, and I'll add to it here, I'll add to it, or following trauma, some kind of trauma. You go out one more level of belief, and you have authority, the, the authority level of belief. This is the, your belief system in life where you believe what you do about who you can trust, who can be trusted, your school teachers, your parents. Uh, we have such a thing today as believing certain social media outlets or certain political platforms. Who really, that, that really becomes defining in who we are as people. Like, I trust, I trust this political platform or these voices. And then you go out further beyond the authority, the, the authoritarians or authority figures in your life, all the way out, and the outer ring is called the periphery beliefs. And these are beliefs like, um, what model car is the best? You just know that this kind of car, or 
Lost is the greatest TV show ever made. And then by season three, you're like, this is getting kind of weird. And you're like, did I say it was the best show? I don't think I said that. I think On the outer level of our belief system, that's the level that can most easily change. This is where we believe Crest toothpaste is the best toothpaste. And then two years later, it's, it's Colgate. Um, the closer you go into the core, the harder it is for you to change. It is so hard for you to think differently about life in countering something your parents believed or something they modeled or to believe something different about the home you grew up in. People who grew up in a home where they felt unsafe as a child, it is so hard to change in the inner core and character of that person that home can be a beautiful place. And it will be. This speaks to our need to allow God to do his changing work in us. Our role is to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, to be transformed. His role is to do the transforming. Metamorphose is the Greek word that Paul used. Be transformed. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Metamorphose is the Greek word. You will be completely transformed into someone new who looks at the world differently, who speaks differently, who builds relationships differently. You don't have to react so quickly anymore. God is actually changing you from the inside out to where you become beautiful as a reactor. You become a better listener. You become so filled with the Spirit of God that culture isn't influencing you anymore. You're now influencing the culture around you. This is Paul's dream, God's Spirit's dream in Paul, challenging us. The changing of our minds takes time. It takes deliberate focus. I'm going to reread this section of Romans again from the message translation. Eugene Peterson, a master biblical scholar, trans translated the original Greek into more vernacular, modern vernacular today. And this is the message version of Romans, Romans 12. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit it, I'm sorry, that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. That's that metamorphose, the Greek. You'll be, You'll be completely transformed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And so I'm going to leave us today in these last few minutes here with two specific things I want you to know. There are parts of you that you can't change. And if this is obvious to you this morning, you can leave saying, Brad just told me things I already knew. That's fine. Maybe I'll apologize. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. There are parts of you that can't change. Your body. We try to change our bodies, and we can a little bit. We can a little bit. You can't change your upbringing. Certain parts of, of your culture. You can't change... Characteristics about your parents. The environment that you're in, we have some degree of change, but the environment you grew up in, we can't change. You have specific genes. 
There's a genetic component to you. This is who you are. But you also have a will. And this is where we fall spiritually flat often in life. We get stuck in the things that we can't change. But we try to change the things we really can't change. We get fixated on, but I want to change. I want to change my past. I'm trying to erase my parents. I'm trying to erase this thing that happened to me. When God calls us into the energy, the offering of ourselves to him as a sacrifice to be changed, this is our will. He's given you a will. And it's amazing. And it's so unique about humans. Astoundingly, unlike anything else in the universe, you and I have a will. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, man, this is challenging. Human beings judge each, judge each other by their external actions. God judges us by our moral choices, speaking to our will. When a neurotic who has a pathological horror of cats, he uses this as an example, forces himself to pick up a cat for some good reason, he's, he's, he's decided to rescue a cat, or he sees a lost cat and returns it to its owner. It is quite possible that in God's eyes, he has shown more courage than a healthy man may have shown in winning the equivalent of the, the British Medal of Honor. When a man who has been perverted from his youth and taught that cruelty is the right thing does some tiny little kindness or refrains from some cruelty that he might have committed and thereby, thereby perhaps risks being sneered at by his companions, he may, in God's eyes, be doing more than you and I would do if we gave up life itself for a friend. Because God sees this choice that this person has made to allow me the power to make them different, to make me different. God sees this as remarkable. When you and I just waving nicely and saying something nice to a neighbor, like, look, I'm being a good neighbor, God may not be very impressed with that. It's just not challenging. We're not changing much from the, the place of our will, offering God the ability to change us at the core, the character level of who we are. I'll just finish with this. I think we have this on the screen. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, that is why Christians, followers of Jesus, are told not to judge. We see only the results which a man's choices make out of his raw material. But God does not judge him on the raw material at all, but on what he does with it. This gets to the reality that you and I, yes, we're made up of unchangeable parts, but we also have a will. You are not programmed like animals who just have natural instincts and they, they migrate at the same time every year and they go to the water in the rainy season. They hunt when it's time to hunt. Yes, we can train, humans can actually train animals through a reward system and we can kind of change their behavior, but animals are just very instinctual. They just do what they're programmed to do. We often think of ourselves this way. Well, this is who I am. I'm just going to keep reacting the way I react. Or you could tap this unique, remarkable gift of God that you have, the ability of choice, the ability of your will to say, God, I'm choosing to no longer stay the same. I'm not going to stay in, in the past. I'm not going to be defined by what happened to me or what I'm, this, the awful choice I made. 
I'm going to allow you to change me at the center, those places that are hardest to change. There's no way I could change myself. I'm going to allow you. This is my living worship to you. Second thing that I'll leave you with here that I want you to know, remarkably unique to anything else on earth, you have the ability to fix your focus on new thoughts, new ideas, and on truth. You and I have this ability. Paul writing to another very young new church says in Philippians 4, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Begin setting your mind on these things, what, what, the, the good and the truth and the beauty that God's doing, that God wants to work in the world, that he's already revealing in the people around you. Fix your attention on these things. Stop fixing your attention on the ugly that was done to you. Stop complaining about your childhood or the way you grew up or how this person. Fix your attention on what I'm doing, what I'm capable of. The beauty that I've come to bring into the world. This is God's gift to you. To actually walk out, to actually practice in everyday life. More and more of the way of Jesus, allowing his spirit to lead us. Okay, I'm going to introduce this morning our new prayer. We pray the month of September every day. We're just, we, we're, these are in our emails. We put them on the screen every week now. A monthly prayer. So this will be our prayer for the month of October. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me every day this month. And if you forget or you're like, oh, no, the prayer, God's not upset. It's not a problem. Just jump back in with us. This is the prayer that we will be collectively offering to God together as a church family this month. Powerful God, pray with me. Powerful God who came to restore the world. I join my church community this month setting my mind and thoughts on you. My mind naturally wants to think about so many pressing matters. We see this all throughout Scripture. God, the pace of everyday life tempts me to put, to put you aside. Jesus, help me right now to counter the thought, I'll get back to you later. Remind me today that experiencing you and you changing me begins with what I listen to, what I focus on, and what I think about. Reorder my mind and my habits with your words. Jesus, whatever is true and decent, right and pure, whatever is lovely and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy, help me to think on these things. In a broken and disappointing world, use me in our church this week to reveal your love and your power to make things new. Amen.